Remember, up to 25 was all against Israel. This next sequence of chapters is going to be against this group of small nations, against Tyre, which is going to take about three chapters, and against Egypt. And at the end of the prophecies against all of the countries that are around Israel, which is what these all are, then he's going to turn back to Israel again, and then we're going to start talking about the restoration and the blessing. So this section here deals exclusively with the nations surrounding Israel, and their judgment in all cases is because of the way they treated Israel. As he says, when Israel gets conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, these countries around her are going to say, woohoo, and going to come and try and expand their own territory, going to come and try and partake in the spoils, you know, that kind of thing. They're going to all descend and pile on, if you will. Now, God is dealing with Israel himself through Babylon. So the reason Babylon is coming down there is because God has brought them there. And he's going to be chapped with Babylon, too, because they're going to go beyond what he wants. But as he brings judgment upon his people, he uses other nations to do that. But there's a limit. In other words, his judgments are measure for measure. So if anybody around goes beyond what God thinks is appropriate and fair, then God says, "Uh uh-uh, and he goes and deals with them. And that's what he's doing with these nations here. They have gone beyond what God thinks is just in dealing with Israel. Okay, Ezekiel 25. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because you said, Aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Indeed, therefore, I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east, and they shall set their encampment among you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit, they shall drink your milk, and I will make Rabah a stable for camels, and Ammon a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Ammon is to the east of Israel. If you remember your Deuteronomy, Rabah was conquered by Moses just before they went into the land. And later on in the time of the judges, the Ammonites came up against Japheth and said that they wanted the east side of the Jordan back. And Japheth prosecuted a war against them. So there's always been tension between the Ammonites and Israel. And at this particular time, the Ammonites and Judah had made an alliance against Babylon. And remember a time or two ago when Nebuchadnezzar was up by the Euphrates and he cast lots, whether he was going to go to the left or to the right as he came down. And when the lot fell for Judah and he came down there, the Ammonites said, too bad for you, Judah, instead of coming and helping him. So God is not pleased. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands, stamped your feet, and rejoiced in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel, indeed, therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples, and I will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, look, the house of Judah is like all the nations. 
Therefore, behold, I will clear the territory of Moab of cities, and of the cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Jeshemoth, Baal Maon, and Kir Jatham, to the men of the east I will give it as a possession, together with the Ammonites, that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations, and I will execute judgment upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. As you remember in Deuteronomy, Moab was the nation that sent temple prostitutes in among Israel. Remember the, the incident with uh, Baalam? So that was Moab. So there's always been an uneasy relationship there. And obviously when Judah was taken out, they jumped up and down and clicked their heels and were just all excited. And God was not pleased. Edom, as you know, is Esau. Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off man and beast from it, and make it desolate from Timon. Dedan shall fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury and they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. Now notice this is different. He's using Israel as opposed to, in this case, the people of the east. Why do you suppose that is? Because they're also descendants of Isaac. Remember, they're twins. Esau and Jacob were twins. So even though their crime, if you will, is the same, their punishment is different. Verse 15, Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Carathites and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. 26. Then it came to pass in the 11th year, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall be filled, she is laid waste. Notice that this all has to do with Tyre's attitude toward Israel. So what do you suppose would be the conflict between Tyre and Israel? Why would Tyre rejoice if Israel went down? Tyre is to the northeast of them on the coast. It is on the coast of Lebanon. Israel is the gateway. Israel is a choke point. And all of the riches of Africa, Asia, Europe, and so forth all flow through Israel. It's a source of tremendous wealth. So the nation that sits on those trade routes is extremely wealthy, as Israel was. Tyre is also a merchant nation, and Tyre's merchandise flows over the sea. The Phoenicians, who owns Tyre, were the first ones to develop blue water sailing. Before the Phoenicians, all the trade would go island hopping around the perimeter of the Mediterranean. The Phoenicians developed blue water sailing so they could sail straight across. That was the source of their wealth. And we'll see here as we read on, they are fabulously wealthy. And in that, they are a competitor to Jerusalem because Jerusalem controls the trade that comes by land. And what they'll say is now that that is gone, we're going to get richer because we got the only trade routes. 
Verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Also her daughter villages, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay with a sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons, the chariots, when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder... All right, notice we just changed pronouns there. It's been he, 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 he. Now it's they. A little history. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Babylon and was unable to conquer it. He did, in fact, completely conquer all of the cities on the coastland. But the city of Tyre itself is on an island just off the coast. And he was not able to crack that city. The city was actually conquered by Alexander. And what Alexander did is he built a causeway from the shore out to the city and so was able to capture the city itself. The commentary I have here says that it is very probable that Nebuchadnezzar brought Tyre under tribute. And in fact, they had its king assassinated and installed a vassal king of his own, but, but he did not take the actual city. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock. You shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken. Alexander did that. The city did, in fact, recover from Alexander, but apparently now, today, there's nothing there anymore. I'm strictly going from one commentary here. 15. Thus said the Lord God to Tyre, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall? When the wounded cry, when slaughter is made in the midst of you, when all the princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes and take off their embroidered garments, they will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble every moment, and be astonished at you. And they will take up a lamentation for you and say to you, How you have perished, O one inhabited by seafaring men, O renowned city who was strong at sea, she and her inhabitants who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are troubled by your departure. What does this sound like to you? Doesn't that sound like Babylon in Revelation? All the merchants crying and so forth? 
and the reason I do is we're going to go on here and a couple chapters from now we're going to do the bit with the king of Tyre who was in the garden of God so what he's going to talk about is the motivating force behind Tyre the merchant city and in Revelation he's going to talk about the motivating force behind Babylon a merchant city so I'm going to suggest that there is in fact a connection here for thus says the Lord God I will make you a desolate city like cities that are not inhabited when I bring the deep upon you and great waters cover you then I will bring you down with those who descend to the pit to the people of old I will make you dwell in the lowest part of the earth in places desolate from antiquity with those who go down to the pit so that you may never be inhabited and I shall establish glory in the land of the living I will make you a terror and you shall be no more though you are sought for you will never be found again says the Lord God doesn't get much more much more complete than that 27 the word of the Lord came to me now you son of man raise a lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre who dwells at the entrances to the sea merchant of the peoples to many coastlands thus says the Lord God I've switched versions, by the way. I'm now in the English Standard Version. O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from sinner. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. He's obviously using a nautical metaphor here. Since Tyre is a seafaring nation, he's talking in terms of boat parts. Of oaks of Bashan they made your oars. They made your deck of pines from the coast of Cyprus, inlaid with ivory. A fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner. Blue and purple from the coast of Elishah was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gibal and their skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. One of the things about trading cities and the other place that you see it very heavily is in Corinth, San Francisco, New York, New Orleans. They tend to be very, very cosmopolitan, which is to say you have people from all over the world there and they're all attracted there by money and you can literally buy anything you want in one of those cities. And, of course, in our time, San Francisco has become sort of a byword for sin, which it is. But that's fairly typical of major trading centers like this. Oh, one other thing along that same line. One of the things about places like that is they often don't have enough population to support a major army so they hire them or they often as in the case of Rome toward the end everybody was living in such ease and luxury that they didn't want to join the army so they hired them one of the danger signs that I see for the United States is we have got a lot of hirelings in our army and I don't mean hirelings in a bad sense. Most of them come here with the intention of getting citizenship 
I'm not knocking them. What I'm saying is that it is typical of an empire in decline that their armies are staffed by foreigners. Verse 10. Persia and Lud and Put were in your army as your men of war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Men of Arbad and Helic were on your walls all around, and men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made perfect your beauty. Now notice, by the way, the heavy emphasis here on beauty. So what he's talking about here is splendor. And we'll see in a minute that what he's going to do is he's going to shift that over to talking about Satan. And he's going to talk about Satan the same way. By the way, I've got a table here of what most of these countries are. Tarshish is probably Spain. Greece is Greece. Tubal is eastern Turkey. Meshach is central Turkey. And Beth Togoma is eastern Turkey. Rhodes is Rhodes. Aram is Syria. Judah, Israel, Damascus, uh, we know the Danites or Aden. Um, Dedan is Arabia. Kedar is Arabia. Sheba is southern Arabia. Ramah is southern Arabia. And then Haran, Kena, Eden, Sheba, Ashur, and Kilmad are all in Mesopotamia. Verse 12. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind, silver, iron, tin, and lead, they exchanged for your wares. Javon, Tubal, and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth Togermah, they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were your own special markets. They brought you in payment ivory tusks and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged for your wares, emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and ruby. Judah and the lands of Israel traded with you. They exchanged for your merchandise wheat of myth, meal, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind, wine of Helbon and wood of Sahar and casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wares, wrought iron, cassia and calmus, cassia and calmus are spices, bartered for your merchandise. Dedan traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favorite dealers in lambs, rams, and goats. And these they did business with you. The traders of Sheva and Ramah traded with you. They exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds of spices and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Kena, Eden, traders of Sheba, Ashur, Chumad traded with you. In your market, these traded with you in choice garments, in clothes of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material, bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise, so you were filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. That's quite a, quite a list. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. This section in my translation is poetic. So your rowers have brought you out into the high seas, and there the east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Remember, he started off with the metaphor of a ship. 
you got a mast from here, you got oars from here, you got decks. So he started off with the metaphor of a ship, and he's talking about Tyre as a ship. So now what he's saying is this ship has been brought by its rowers out to the high seas. In other words, that's where your wealth comes from. So then he says the east wind has wrecked you, and the east wind is judgment. Judgment always comes out of the east, biblically. So what he's saying is this judgment is from God. 27. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners and your pilots, your caulkers, your dealers and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you with all your crew that is in your midst sank into the heart of the seas on the day of your fall. At the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from your ships came all who handle the oar. The mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you and put sackcloth on their waist. And they weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. In their wailing, they raise a lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like the one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares come from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas and the depth of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastland are appalled at you, and the hair of their kings bristles with horror. Their faces are convulsed. The merchants among the peoples hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. This sounds very much like the Revelation passage. And I think we're going to see the connection to it in a minute here. Chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I will sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. Full stop. What's going on here? I don't know that the book of Daniel has been written yet. The book of Daniel is written from the Babylonian exile. So is the book of Ezekiel. Now, it is certainly possible that Ezekiel knew Daniel. I do not discount that for a moment, since they were both in exile. And in fact, they may have known each other. But Daniel, at this point, probably has not risen to the fame that he eventually acquires. Daniel, early on in the captivity, is a teenager. I just am finding this kind of fascinating, the interplay between the two books, because, as I say, Daniel's life extends. He's a very old man by the time he dies, and he becomes Nebuchadnezzar's prime minister. And this is certainly written before Nebuchadnezzar went through his illness and all that stuff. And he becomes the prime minister to two more kings. So his wisdom, knowledge, and fame, I don't believe, have been recorded at this point. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth, and your heart has become proud in your wealth. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a god, therefore behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I'm a god? In the presence of those who kill you, though you were but a man and no god, in the hands of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. This next part is the part that everybody comes to. And I don't think that his wisdom is sarcastic. Um, Certainly his pride in being puffed up is... But I don't get the feeling of sarcasm, at least not in this translation. I get the feeling that he is very wise according to the wisdom of men, and that has very much puffed him up and put him up beyond where he should be. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Notice this is beauty again. This is the third time I think that it's been mentioned. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Whoops. It's a clue to who this is. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, you were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. You see how we've shifted? So I don't think this is necessarily sarcastic up above. I think that he is giving the devil his due. You are very wise, wiser than Daniel. But all that does you no good. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground, I exposed you before king to feast their eyes upon you. Remember we started off, why is God so chapped about Tyre? And we said, because of the trade, envy between them. And that's true. But it's also because Jerusalem is the chosen place of God and Tyre is the chosen place of Satan. So when Jerusalem goes down and goes under judgment, Satan says, "Woo! got him! What Satan is saying is this godly idea doesn't work. My way works better because not even God could keep his people from getting to the point where God judged them. And look at my beauty. Look at this wonderful civilization I've created. Look at all the splendor that I've amassed here. Notice beauty, 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 and all aesthetics. So I'm suggesting to you that the underlying reason why Tyre is being judged is because of the gloating that Satan is doing over the destruction of Israel. 18. By the multitude of your iniquities, 
In the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out of your midst, it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end, you shall be no more forever. Prophecy against Sidon. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments on her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Sidon, by the way, is south of Tyre. It's also a coastal town, part of Lebanon today. 24. And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So what I'm saying to you is you have this whole litany of peoples around Israel, all of whom are planning how they can profit from the destruction of Israel. And what God is saying here is, I'm going to sand them all off and nobody is going to profit from the destruction of Jerusalem. 25. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgment upon their neighbors who have treated them with contempt they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. So what he's saying here is, once the exile has served its purpose, I am going to bring Israel back. And all of these nations that plan to profit from her demise are not going to be there when they come back. The other thing is, notice that he gave that land to Jacob, not Judah. So what this is talking about is the restoration of the entire nation of Israel, not just Judah. And as I've said before, I think that the two restorations of Judah, one from Babylon and one from the Holocaust, are messianic events. The first return was so that the Messiah would be born in the land, and the second return is so that the Messiah will come back to the land, and that the restoration of Israel will not be complete until Ephraim comes back. 